Welcome back, everybody, to the Stark Wars podcast. Today, we're doing something a little different. We're going back in time for the first time, and we're talking about Iron Man, where 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 it all began. Um, and and the, here's a guy we were we were stuck in this cave. We had nothing but but weapon scraps, and but you know what? We we came out together, and uh, I, I'd say that we we if nothing else, I don't know if it's a great podcast. We have a podcast now. Tommy Pizzullo. Tommy, how are you? I'm good, but you know what would make this better? If before we do the podcast, let's just end it now. We'll come back and let's go get some cheeseburgers. Let's just go get some cheeseburgers. We'll eat them on the podcast. It'll be great content. People will love it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, and we have a guest, Tommy. Um, we're joined by the great host of the Nathan for Us podcast. It's Kelly White. Kelly, how are you? Oh, I'm doing so great. Yeah. I mean, Tommy, if you want to go to Burger King with me, we can definitely make that happen. I'm very down. I love a little spawn con in my movies. So let's do it. Let's do some impossible whoppers. Guys, I don't know about you. Like, I I mean, I guess I'll find out here shortly, but um, I, I, I forgot how great this movie is, you know, and there's like, and it's it's like the little things for me, right? And it's it's interesting. Like, I mean, obviously, we talk about like all the modern Marvel stuff, but it's interesting to see how far we've come, and some sometimes maybe in bad ways, um, because like there's a lot of like dirt and grime to this movie. Like, I kept seeing explosions, and I was like, wait a second, that's a real explosion. Like, that's not CGI. Like, they blew up a car, you know. So, uh, like, I don't know. There's just a uh, there's a little bit more heart to this thing, and I, I really enjoyed it. Kelly, I want to get your takes. What did you think of Iron Man or what have you thought? I guess this wasn't your first viewing. Yeah, I mean, I saw this movie first probably the year it came out, I would assume. I think I watched it on a plane, um, which, you know, classic. you got to pick an action movie to watch on a plane. It always makes you feel very comfortable and safe. Um, but I think this movie is a really good snapshot of kind of 2008 and the time that it came out. Almost in the same way that I would say something like Mean Girls is, where there's some very specific kind of things that they talk about and specific tropes that they kind of use, where I'm like, this is very, very early aughts. Um, But at the same time, it's so different for a lot of Marvel movies, right? Because this is kind of before Disney really came in and it's a little bit darker. You know, there's there's some stuff going on that is very different from other Marvel movies, I would definitely say. Yeah, it's really interesting to think like, Back at the time when there was nothing, right? Like, it's like, they tried a couple things. You got the Spider-Mans in there. And then Iron Man came out. It was just this, like, big phenomenon. And it was, like, such a... I remember it was a big deal, but I wasn't, like... I wouldn't necessarily say anyone was really a Marvel fan. Like, you like some people were Marvel comic book fans, maybe. People were, like, you know... But I feel like it, this was really the peak of, like, Marvel mania up in here. And they did such a good job with the film. It's still, like... To be honest, most of it holds up like CGI wise. Like, there's a couple moments I'm like, ah, but then mostly, like, I was still pretty impressed with some of this stuff. Tommy, no, I'll say some of the stuff is better than things that we get in modern movies. And I realize, like, we've taken some hits with the pandemic, and I know that has set a lot of things back. But um, with that being said, like, this very much, like, like, I can name shots in movies that I've seen in the last six months that came out <laughs> that are way better in this movie. So um, with that being said though, Tommy, I want to ask you about this. I want to get your takes. Um, Tommy, you're a flip phone guy, right? 
like now, do I still use a flip phone? I mean, yeah. Uh, more, I mean, I mean, you've used a flip phone, right? Oh yeah, I've dabbled with the flip phones. <laughs> Tommy, okay, Iron Man has like, okay, look. First and foremost, I want to talk about this. Okay, I'm going on a tangent. We're this hour starting off here. Okay, um, he can lay a blueprint down on the table, and it builds itself into a 3D model. Which, by the way, that is my job. Like, I spend months doing what he did in two seconds, and he's got like a, he's got like a, he's got like a, a. a freaking keyboard that is like clear or whatever i don't even know i can't even just explain the technology in this movie jarvis jarvis is like siri on crack but listen they use he uses a flip phone tommy <laughs> listen i mean they didn't have a budget to invent a new phone for the times michael like they can cgi a blueprint so they have cgi a phone like create invent a new phone but just cgi it in is that what they should have done I mean, look, it seems like they advanced everything else. I'm not I'm not really upset by yeah. that. Do you understand. think that was the most advanced phone at the time? Well, it, uh, Kelly, I want to ask you about this. Have you seen this? Because he's got the, it's like the T-phone. Yeah. And I remember when this came out, it was like, oh, you can watch like horizontal videos. I mean, it was pretty cool. I also, it's very funny that he has like a landline still. <laughs> like he has two phones. One is not simply enough. He needs also a landline just to be able to make sure that people can reach him at all times. Thanks. Um, okay, I took us off, I took us off the uh, road there a little bit. But let's talk about when Iron Man was taken off the road. I want to talk about this opening scene. Tommy, I know you're really excited about this one. This, I mean... Uh, first and foremost, I guess we can just talk about like uh, Robert Downey Jr. And like, I, I think a lot of people say that like he's like he's perfect for this role. You know, nobody else could have done this. And like, I'm just reminded that like that is actually so true. Like, I don't know any like I don't know this movie is half is what it is without Robert Downey Jr. And like, I feel like we were very very lucky to get him. So Tommy, what well what do you what do you think about Robert and this opening scene? Well, and it's like. I, I, Robert was amazing in this opening scene. The opening scene in general, like it's so important to have a good opening scene, especially with this project, which was like, basically everyone thought it was going to fail. Like I watched a documentary like a couple of years ago that was like talking about the making and it was like after it was successful and everyone was talking about it. And like, you think about it, like you look at the, the, the director was John Favreau who like did a couple of things, but I think the film before the film he was most known for before Iron Man was Elf. I want to think to have the director of Elf be the director of Iron Man. Uh, you got Robert Downey Jr. who, you know, had a lot of his demons he was battling with. I think the movie right before he did this one was Shaggy Dog. He was this evil lawyer in Shaggy Dog. And so, like, and it, there was, I think the writer was also, like, someone that was, like, not super famous. It was, like, a, a makeshift group. Like, it should not have been as successful as it was, and yet it was. And I think that's where it comes down to Robert Downey Jr. And, like, the network, like, no one wanted him except for John Favreau. John Favreau went to bat for him because he's, like, there is no one better for this job than Robert Downey Jr. And he is Tony Stark. Like you see that opening scene and it's just like everything you need to know about Tony right there in that opening car sheet. You see him flirting a little bit. You see him like bantering with people. Like that's what Tony does. He's great with his words and, he, and he's also a very intelligent person. Yeah. And do you guys know a little bit about who else they considered and also who was meant to direct this film prior to them signing John Favreau and RDJ? Please, please fill me in. Okay, so originally it was going to be directed by Nick Cassavetes, who is the son of John Cassavetes, and probably Nick Cassavetes' most famous film is The Notebook. So different vibe <laughs> altogether. And he really wanted to have Tom Cruise as Iron Man, which I think is a totally different movie. 
yeah. all together. <laughs> um, and I know when they originally brought RDJ on, he like really pushed for the film as well. And then when he was actually cast, he did like 20 screen tests or something. When they finally brought him on, he was like, listen, John Favreau, this script is bad. And we just need to like take the plot points and we're going to just kind of like riff on whatever's in here. We're not actually going to follow the script, which is incredible. Yeah, the three of them, I, I, they were literally like writing the script as they went. It was like Favreau, um, Bridges and, and uh, Robert Downey Jr. would just like sit in a trailer every night and just write the next pages that they had to film the next day. It's wild. Like, it, like you said, it's like, yeah, he, he was very about it. And I think like it was, it was right time, right place, everything. Right. Like it just it, it was me. Iron Man was supposed to happen this way. Yeah. Even down to like um, I, there was a, a new Marvel behind the scenes book that came out recently that unveiled this story. But like it came down to like they had to do like secret reshoots to like fix things that like they didn't even have like like prepared for at all. One of the ones that I found the most interesting because it feels like such it feels so obvious in hindsight but it's the it, it, jumping into the end here. It's at the end when when they're flying up in space and he catches him with the the ice trick, right? That was like that was added into the movie like a week before the movie came out, which is incredible to me. And it's weird because it, like they're like they're, like the movie's pretty good, but there's like this one scene like nothing happens with this, and like there's nothing that really like ties the end together with everything else that happened. And just adding that scene like fixed so much for me. So now it's um, it seemed like a very messy production all around, but sometimes that stuff just works. <laughs> so um, messy and expensive, like one hundred and forty million dollars <laughs> or something. Yes. Yeah, and I think they were saying like if if this flopped, they would done. Like Marvel was done. Like not even just the like I think they would have went bankrupt. Like I think it would have ended everything. And like that's just wild to think about. Again, like it's just they were really struggling around that time. I mean that's why they sold. Like that's. There was a lot of them selling their properties to other companies and they're now trying to get it back. But that was the reasoning because they were really struggling. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Um, one, one thing I would kind of want to, um, again, we're going to jump around a lot. Um, my notes are very um, hectic, but uh, I want to talk about this because th th this is one thing like I remember, like I hadn't seen this movie in maybe two years. Um, and my recollection was I did not like Tony's character in this. Um and like he was a bit like and I realized that like it's part of like his grand arc and it pays off so much more towards the end when he's not that guy. Right. But I remember him being a massive douche in this movie. Um, but I, I found myself liking him way more than maybe I should have, especially after he gets out of the cave and like he quickly makes that turn and he's like a chaotic king and like disrupting his company. And uh yeah, Kelly, I want to get your read on this. Um, how, how do you feel about that? Where, are you like, obviously, like he is like the symbol of what we are supposed to hate in America. Um, but what did you think about his character and all this? Yeah, I mean, honestly, Tony Stark is someone who if I met him in real life, I would probably hate him and then go home after and be like, I can't stop thinking about this guy. Like he's a walking red flag, which to me is extremely attractive. And Actually, I kind of feel like this kind of goes into Pepper. Pepper Potts to me is like the audience where she kind of like calls him on his shit, but she makes Tony so likable for the audience, right? Because she's able to be like, I shouldn't like this guy, but I kind of do. And then you're like, as the audience is like, well, yeah, I kind of, I kind of agree with Pepper here. Like, I shouldn't like this guy. 
he didn't get me my martini with the three olives or whatever. But also, he's very charming, and he's clearly trying to turn over a new leaf, much like RDJ in real life when they were filming this film. Um, but yeah, he's just, you shouldn't like him, but for some reason, he's just so good and so charming, especially after the scene in the cave, that you can't help but root for this guy. Yeah, and I think, too, the thing about Tony, no matter how uh, snarky he can be, no matter how arrogant he can be, there is a heart. You know, they talk about, like, even though he's got the the arc reactor, there's still a heart in Tony. And she Pepper talks about that in the film. And I, I think you see that as, like, once he realizes what his creations have created, he doesn't just sit on that, right? Like, he doesn't just be like, oh, that's fine. It does change him. And you Rome, I always like films. It's the reason I, I liked uh, Eternals recently is, like, where Rome wasn't built in a day, right? It's like someone should not just have one moment and be like, all right, I am completely changed. And we don't see that with Iron Man. He, it's not just this movie. He Multiple movies he goes through where it's, he's trying to be better. But it's hard when you have what, you know, I don't know how old he technically is in, in this, but it's like he has, what, 30-something years of being the way he was to change? I think they handled it so well of, like, there are still moments where he thinks he's doing the right thing and he's, his intentions are good, but he's doing it the wrong way because he doesn't know what to do yet. This is all new to him. He's like a baby walking for his first time. Wham. Not the way. Way, way. Okay, well, you mentioned Pepper Potts. I want to touch on Pepper Potts here a little bit and also talk about Gwyneth Paltrow as a whole because I think she's one of the most fascinating um, personalities as an actress in all of the MCU. And that's because it's my understanding that, that Gwyneth Paltrow does not care about these Marvel movies in the slightest. It's like the exact opposite of like uh, of kind of like uh, Robert Downey Jr. And, and John Favreau like going in there and like rewriting the script and putting all this effort in. I, I get the vibes that Gwyneth Paltrow was probably the opposite. And that being like there's interviews like you can go look up interviews where she like she's not even sure what Marvel movie she's in, which is like absolutely hilarious to me. And uh, and kind of there, there are two types of Marvel actors that I liked. Uh, the first one and this goes for Star Wars, too. The first one is the ones that are like the lifelong fans. Right. Um, and we see that a lot now recently. A lot of they're like casting a lot of people that have been wanting this for a long time and have like grown up with these movies, which I think is cool. So I like that type of actor. But I also like the type that does not care about this at all. I love Gwyneth Paltrow for that. She's the best. And it's the same reason I like Bill Burr and The Mandalorian. He hates Star Wars. So that's that's my rant. And, and she is a really good pepper. Like, it's hard to ever like. I don't think it could ever recast the character. Like in my eyes, it's 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 almost the same as Robert Downey Jr. being Tony. Like it's like she fits Pepper so well, and they have such good chemistry. And they don't even kiss in this movie. There's no kissing. That is There's... wild. I definitely remember them kissing. Like in my head, I definitely remember there being a kiss in this movie. Yeah, and it's like. I don't know. They just do such a good job of like building this relationship where you're rooting for them, even though like we should not be because he's literally her boss. And like that is a messed up power dynamic. Also, he's like the richest person on the planet, perhaps. But uh, it's just you cannot help it. Like Gwyneth Paltrow plays this so well as like you can see on her face like I should not be into this guy. Like I'm very conflicted. I'm living my own life. Like I'm my own little bad bitch, executive assistant, whatever her job is. But you still are like, oh, but like maybe you should go for the bad boy who also builds, you know, war weapons, whatever. I, I want to point out this line and I think it's the best line in the entire movie. 
Um, it's when uh, Tony's uh, one night stand says, oh, you still do his dry cleaning? And she goes, I do anything and everything, Mr. Stark asked, including take out the trash as she was walking out the door. Like, what a what a badass. Yes. Um, also, Tommy, I want to touch on this really quickly um, because we, we've been talking about the uproar behind um, some interesting scenes in The Eternals. I just want to say there's more nudity and, and sexual content in this. I mean, there's no nudity, but more so in this than there was in Eternals. Yeah, I actually forgot about this, and I was we were talking about Eternals in that scene, and I was like, "Huh, it's already been they already broke it in the first one." People just forgot about because it it's so long ago that they they just don't even remember that it happened. But yeah, I think like uh, with Pepper, it's like she knows, right? Like she knows that like these girls will will go all the time, but she's the only one that will stay, and she doesn't like the reporter's comments to her do not phase her. Because she knows where she stands in Tony's life and how important she is. Yeah, I'm obsessed with the implied coitus. That, like, I completely forgot that this happened in the movie. And I was like, oh, yeah, obviously. Like, Tony's a rock star. And they really lean into that in this movie. Which I feel like no other Marvel superhero really has that going for them. Like, he just is on a different level. Especially in this specific film, right? Like, it's a totally different tone, even. Then the other ones, even Iron Man 2 and 3, I feel like don't get back to this the same level. It's because it was made to be Iron Man. And like this is a problem I have with Marvel sometimes is like it is so formulaic at this point. Like yes, we get the tie-in at the end uh for future properties, but they didn't know that was gonna happen for sure. You know, they just knew they were making Iron Man. That's it. And so you can see that it feels like a, a standalone movie. It doesn't need the other movies yet it, it does get better the more you see of, of iron man but yeah i it, i can't talk enough about how like concrete this is like there's there's small things i can nitpick but at the same time it's like it's also what makes the movie fun like it, those moments even the nitpicky moments are still part of the character of the movie and the character of tony stark yeah so um another another thing that i want to touch on here before we get too far is the best Iron Man suit. His first one, the cave suit. Kelly, what, what do you what do you think of uh, all all of this? Is it him building this this massive cave suit? It's just so fun. Like I feel like we don't get this a lot. Where he we spend so much time watching him build the suit, which I think is like very different than other Marvel movies. Again, and the suit looks not great like it looks janky like it looks like he built it in a cave which i love it looks like the iron giant and it, it really feels real in a way where it's like yeah you know what i could believe that that this man built it in a cave and i just love the way that like robert downey jr plays the whole building of the suit as well like he's does such a good job of making you believe like oh yeah this man knows what he's doing and i know we'll get into this too but like his little partner in the cave Yinsen, who I feel like I want to argue is the reason the MCU exists now, right? Like he really started this whole thing. Yinsen was awesome, and like I, I'll be honest, I didn't remember that he dies. Like, uh, so during that scene, I was like, "Wait, what happens to this character? Because he deserves a lot more than he gets." And of course, he dies, but he should have lived. I mean, like I would have loved, like if he was like, uh, I don't know, like like the Alfred to Batman. Like I love Yinsen. He was great. 
But I think he needed to dive. So Tony felt completely alone, right? It's like no one experienced what he experienced in that cave. And that's something like he, you know, it's talked about later on. It's like a lot of times where Tony deals with like PTSD. But I think this is his first taste of like trauma. And uh, I think for me, with the why this movie is so good too, is the origin story compared to some other origin stories of, of characters. It works so well with the themes they were trying to portray. And also like I talk about, like the beginning, it showed how charming he can be. But we, and then we, we hear the whole speech about all the, the genius he has. But this is where you see it in action. You know, we talk about like it's not the most impressive suit, but the fact that he was able to do anything in that cave is very impressive. And it's such a good storytelling aspect that just naturally was there because of, of what the origin story was that it uh, worked to set up the movie right from the start of like, not only is Tony like, yes, he may be arrogant, maybe all this other stuff. But at the end of the day, he is a genius, period. Yeah, and um, I, I don't know. One thing I did appreciate about this movie, and of course it's probably like all in retrospect, like how much it all really ties. But there's like a way more in this movie that like comes back later on. And, and I mean, we get, oh yeah, we get the 10 rings, which comes back. That's that's a that's a modern thing now. Um, but even like down to like Phil Coulson. Tommy, I know you're a big Phil fan. Um, and I, I forgot he was in this movie, like completely. I, I like, um, uh, what, what how'd, how'd you like, uh, Phil Coulson here, Tommy? Yeah. I mean, that was cool. Right. It's like, that's the other thing is like, even though it was a standalone, I talk about it, a big side plot in the, the movie is setting up shield. Right. And I felt like they did it in such a unique way. They didn't give us Nick Fury, who you would think of, right. You know, they do at the end spoilers for a movie that's so old, <laughs> and, but it, it, it's like, they set up that Phil is like like going to be in the Marvel universe. He's he's there. He's the the first person you meet and the first person Tony meets, which makes like now knowing what we know, like with Avengers and how hard that is and why you know Phil's death meant so much is he's literally the first face of Shield we meet. Not just Tony meets, but all of us meet. And so like to me, it just it it shows how impactful his death was because he is like Nick Fury is Shield, but. Phil was the first introduction of it. Yeah, Kelly, are you a Phil fan? Oh, I love Phil. He's so great. And I totally forgot he was in this movie as well. When he showed up, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> hey, <laughs> wow. This really is the beginning of everything. He's so annoying in this movie, though. Can I just say, like, I mean, I do. I'm, a, I'm, a, I like him as well. But like, he's like, he's like a fly that just shows up every once in a while and buzzes in your ear. And I, I like that they're constantly swatting him away, too. Yeah, he's I think trying they, to do his job. They get yeah. into his humor a little bit more in the other movies, but he's got, even in this, he's got that very dry sense of humor. And I actually think talk about Robert Downey Jr. and uh, Gwen's like chemistry, but also like the chemistry between Pepper Potts and and Coulson. I was, I remember at the time I was kind of shipping them. Like I was kind of like I see this banter. Like there's a little bit of banter going on there. I would have been shook, but wow. <laughs> And in Avengers, they, like she, he, he's the one. She's the one that knows all about the the cello player or whatever. I'm telling you, they, there was something going on there. I like this fan fiction. <laughs> someone, someone, pull that up and read it to us. Fepper, Fepper <laughs> would be their ship name. Fepper, Fepper. Ugh, I don't like it. <laughs> Team Fepper. <laughs> um, yeah, let's get out of Fepper here because I want to talk about. Look, if there is like the weakest part of this movie for me. I don't know that, first and foremost, I love Jeff Bridges. He can do no wrong. 
Um, and I don't think he did anything wrong in this movie. And I think it is probably where like the script might have failed a little bit. I didn't love his character. And I don't know that he always made complete sense, like why he was going as far as he was for a lot of things. With that being said, it was a lot of it was a big joy to have Jeff Bridges here. Kelly, what did you think of Obadiah Stane? It's just so wild to me that they got Jeff Bridges in the MCU. Like, because obviously this is like the first movie in the, in the whole universe. He was such a prestige actor or is such a prestige actor that I was honestly just surprised that he was in this movie to begin with. And he really does make a lot of very questionable choices. Like, why in the world is he trying to kill Tony Stark? Honestly, that does not make a lot of sense. Um, I feel like maybe we needed a little bit more backstory. Like, was he jealous of tony because tony came and took over because it didn't really feel like that like i just didn't really understand his motivations through a lot of the film but at the same point jeff bridges is fantastic in this character specifically it kind of just feels like maybe they perhaps wanted to do like the mandarin as the villain and then changed course halfway through i don't know if that's the case um but it it does a little bit feel half-baked to me yeah, and knowing what what we know about like the script and the fact they were writing, like that definitely can check out. Um, and and also that's kind of what I was talking about. Like that feels very early Marvel to me, where it's like they have a villain, but it's not. We don't have like Killmonger style villains, where it's like we can almost understand why they're doing it. I think like with Obadiah, it's like I guess we can make the illusion that like he just liked running the company so much that he's it's been his con ever since that like he needed. Uh, uh, to take over you know i don't know i i love jeff bridges so it is hard and like listen i forgive him for the fact that he got to say the line uh, uh the whole what michael already referenced the tony stark made it with a box of scraps me and my roommate quote that almost on a weekly basis like it is, still lives rent free in my head it's so yeah. good his delivery is like he's so frightening so like like his performance is not my problem at all yeah the character is just not great it also feels a lot like and maybe after seeing a lot of other films like marvel films this just feels like very small stakes between like they're fighting over this company like it's a little bit succession between tony stark and obadiah which is fine but when later on we get into like they're literally fighting for like the universe control and not killing half of the population like this does feel a little bit you know teeny tiny kelly i have a question um what is this? What is this device that Obadiah Stane uses to inca- incapacitate people? What, what is he doing? Where I do you get that. I know. I know. I'm a scientist. Um, <laughs> little known fact. But honestly, it is so scary. This device that he uses. It basically like paralyzes people. It looks like. But the effect that they use when he uses this device. So he like puts in his little AirPod earbuds. I don't know presses a button like and then they go all blue and veiny it's terrifying to see it was very unsettling yeah it's like a more intense version of like the balkan grip from like star trek it's like they just go out but he doesn't even have to do anything just has to press a button and then yeah i do not like that that thing does not need to exist in the marvel universe anymore you know, maybe I missed something. Maybe they did say, maybe they did explain this device, but I, if they didn't, I do uh, respect the decision. It's it's like, uh, I mean, like, I feel like if this was a James Bond villain, he would have been like, now I'm going to use my radiation stick to zap the energy from your soul, you know? 
But we didn't I get think, that. Can no, we explain quick, like quick, they didn't explain into it, but like, I think when he did it to Tony, he's like, like this is, I got it from the guy. It was just like explained as like, ah, oh, it's just Stark technology. It's, it's around. Yeah. He's just like, oh yeah, it paralyzes you for 15 minutes. That's all. We have got no other explanation of where it came from. Like, why are they not using this in their weapons? They're literally talking about how Tony Stark designed this wild weapon that is the best, you know, war machine ever. But, like, they could be using this crazy paralysis device instead. You attach it to a missile, send it off, and then you just walk in. You just walk into this town. You're like, do-do-do. Everyone's paralyzed. Yep. Yep. Not that we endorse, like, any of that, guys, so... I mean, we don't have the device, so I guess we'll find out when they invent it. So you're that. saying if we did... Michael, are our listeners going to listen to that? And it's implied now that if we did have the device, we would be sending missiles out to people. Well, not missiles, but if I had that device, I might, you know... I can only speak for myself, and I will We have podcast enemies. Device. We have <laughs> podcast enemies that we need to take out. All right, I'll let Michael take the heat for taking out our podcast enemies. Okay, I better be careful. They're going to, like, use this against me one day. Um... <laughs> where do we go from here um <laughs> should we talk about this like middle eastern conflict uh plot point that we have going on which i feel like is a very large portion of the movie which is very 2008 yeah it, it was definitely and i didn't mind it like again dealing like marvel should deal sometimes with more uh topical stuff because like it was relevant at the time and i know it was a big talking point and again you can't touch i think it was smart to start with like the war stuff because like that's tony's whole thing you know you don't really focus on it as much anymore and i think it was smart to again at the time there was already a connection right there for people to connect to and i think like it does hit deep it brings you back to that time one thing I did appreciate about this group, and there was another line of dialogue that kind of explained this, um, was they, they mentioned that, like, they weren't all, like, locals. Like, some of them were, like, uh, from Mongolia, and, like, like that they kind of came together. Like, I did appreciate that, like, especially, again, in this time, it was very easy for people to, like, take bad events and turn people into the villains, right? Turn an entire race of people into a villain. And I feel like they found a way to sidestep that a little bit, which... I wouldn't expect from a 2008 movie, but I'm glad that they did. So, yeah, it's just interesting to me, too, that like, so Tony gets captured. He's in the cave and then he escapes with his Iron Giant suit and, you know, flies back home, does his press conference announcing Stark is no longer going to be making weapons for whatever defense stuff. And then when everyone gets mad at him, he's like, actually, now I'm going to make a better suit and I'm going to fly back and fix this problem that I already saw, which we don't often see in any movie, I feel like. Like, this was, like, a mini plot point where Tony's like, well, now I need to deal with these people who, like, were, like, a smaller part of my issue earlier. Yeah, and I, Tommy, we I know this is, like, a theme that we talk about a lot and, like, how Marvel will use an old villain to demonstrate how powerful a new villain is and like i feel like in another movie it would, like i would be like well what was the point of all these guys like they weren't even like the central problem right but the fact that they had obadiah stain like turn on them like that made him so much more cool and like daunting again I, like at that point i'm like why are you going this far to do all this but it was like uh i, f I feel like like they could have been pointless to the story, but they found a good way to make it feel like there was the first half villain and then there was a second half villain and they tied it together. Well, I guess is my point. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And I definitely know that like 
the Ten Rings was going to be the big deal of the Iron Man series. Like the idea was they were going to be the villain throughout all the movies as this like side thing. So it's like they took out these pawns here, but then like the man Mandarin was going to show up and be like, I think that was originally a plan. It was like at the end, like the cameo would be him, not Nick Fury. And it'd be like, watch out for this. Um, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, Kelly, what, what do you think of, uh, uh, Stan Lee's cameo in this? Oh my God. It's so funny. I, completely forgot that this was the cameo him showing up so for anyone who does not recall maybe did not rewatch the movie he walks in tony stark walks into the party and thinks that stanley is hugh hefner because he's surrounded by all of these like beautiful playboy looking women which i was listening to another podcast that talked about this movie and i guess the original plan with stanley's whole bit was that he was always going to be mistaken for other celebrities which would have been incredible if they had continued that throughout the rest of the movies and i kind of wish they did but yeah this is this is probably like top five stanley cameos to me this is so good yeah it's definitely a good one and i think i remember hearing that theory as well or like that 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 was the intention because i think there's one other movie he's I think it's Iron Man 2, where he's identified as someone else as well. Um, and so I would have liked that. I mean, I like what we have now. I like that it was like it went all over the place, but still a good time. Yeah, he was Larry King at some point. I don't remember what movie that was in, but. Um, Just yeah. Answer any old guy, Stanley. Yeah. Tommy, I want to get your reaction on the arc reactor stuff in this movie. Um, I think there's like a lot of, I think the scene with Pepper, like trying to install the arc reactors is really fun. Um, what, what, what do you think about how did, how did, how did they handle all this? I mean, it's suspenseful. Like I feared for Pepper during this whole thing when she's like on her own, like incognito mission, I was so scared. And, and like also, by the way, it did remind me of something we just recently watched the what if uh, episode about Killmonger. It literally was almost like verbatim of her, like getting information on a little flash drive and being like, now we have it. It felt very similar to her getting the information about Obadiah, but like this whole thing, the arc reactor, I like it. Like I'm, I'm a nerd for that stuff. So I liked the more tech stuff that they focused on in this movie. Um, and it also set up a lot in Iron Man two, right? Like a lot of this conversation leads us right into Iron Man two. Yeah. So uh, Kelly, what's your, what's your take on the arc reactor? Oh my gosh, the scene where Pepper is going in and having to like remove and replace the arc reactor. Gwyneth just does such a good job of being both like very caring and very grossed out by being like, why is it goopy? Like not to not to not to mention goop, but <laughs> essentially. Um I I think the arc reactor is very it's a very cool little piece of tech and the whole thing with like the it being in the box with like proof that Tony Stark has a heart it hit so different watching it now and like having seen you know all of the Marvel movies to follow than it did back in obviously 2008 and like now having seen where Iron Man ends up it was like a little bit emotional like I was like oh I might, I might, am I crying watching this? Like, what is happening? Am I okay? Well, yeah, I mean, especially because, yeah, it comes up at Endgame, right? Like, we see it again, and, like, that's, like, it is weird to think about it uh, back in that time. And, like, what you're saying, that scene uh, is probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie because it's, like, it's a combination of Pepper being so freaked out and Tony just being so calm. He's like, 
all right, so you're going to have to do this. Like, I think it's like, it's just like doing a puzzle or something, but it's his life at her hands and he's just acting so, it's such a good scene. He's so an engineer. Like, my fiance is an engineer. I have lots of friends who are engineers. Like, this is engineers. They're just like, oh, yeah, you just like do the thing and like, it's fine. And I am not an engineer. So Would you I'm do like, this for Colin? Would you call him as one day? Hey, like I need you to remove this arc reactor from my my chest. It depends how slimy it is. That looked pretty slimy. I I think I could get over it, but it would it would take you know some mental gymnastics. It's a slime ratio, not like having like your husband's like literal like heart in your hands. It's a slime, Tommy. It's goop. Okay, it's goop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's in there. Like. I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I did like um, how he came back in this movie even and how like that is like he he like he does like the uh, Leonardo DiCaprio from the Wolf of Wall Street, like Quaaludes crawl to the car. Like he's like he's like he's dying and he crawls to the uh, to the other arc reactor, breaks it open. Like, I, again, like I, I have a horrible memory for this stuff. So like I forgot a lot about this movie. But, like, when he was, like, crawling towards that box, I was like, oh, he wants to see his gift from Pepper before he dies. Like, I didn't even put it together. He's going to use that to save himself. So I was like, oh, cool. So, that was, yeah, I really like that. He didn't uh, even want to keep it. He was going to throw it out. He's like, I'm not sentimental. Pepper, she's she's here. She's that bitch. She's here to save the MCU. Don't worry, everyone. So I feel like another good topic of discussion here is Rhodey and uh, Terrence Howard. Um, I I'll start out with the hot take here. I like Terrence Howard in this role a lot. So uh, Kelly, what do you think? No, I'm 100% on the same page. I Listen, Don Cheadle is great. Don Cheadle, you know, word of the day. I love looking at that. But it, it really does feel like Ta Terrence Howard was was well cast in this role. And it, it's kind of a bummer that he didn't get to stay as Rhodey. Um, I think he does a really good job. I think that he is a great balance for Tony Stark um, and Robert Downey Jr.'s version of Tony Stark, where he is such a good straight man for him. He's able to basically like shut down Tony's shit. You know, he's able to just be kind of a foil for that character, which I really appreciate. And I think Don Cheadle does a great job later on as well. But it just it feels like Terrence Howard is a little bit better. No offense to Don if he's listening, which I'm sure he is. I think this is one of those cases where, like, I think both people play a good uh, uh, war machine, you know, but I I actually think I like Don Cheadle more. I think Terrence is really good in this film and the way they made this film. I don't know if I could see him in the future films. I think Don has a better chemistry with Robert going forward. Um, from my point of view, I like, they feel like long-term buddies to me. Uh, and like, even when Don Cheadle's version is mad at Tony, he's not like fully. And sometimes with Terrence, it felt very like he was almost too yelly at Tony from, from my liking, but I still think he did an amazing job and I enjoyed him in the film. I just feel like Terrence Howard would fit really well in the modern MCU. Like Don Cheadle, like for, for my money, like I would say that generally he is a like way better actor than Terrence Howard. Um, but it's like, it's almost like there are some actors that are meant for the MCU and there are some that are not. And sometimes I feel like Don Cheadle plays it a little too straight and Terrence Howard has a bit more fun with it. 
Um, but do you think that's like too much of the same ingredient in the soup, right? Like I worry that Terrence would just be the same ingredient as some of the other like characters that we already have in the Marvel world. As opposed to Don's kind of his own thing. He's, you know, he's like a surprise in the soup. That's, that's, that is fair. Um, I, I honestly, I just cannot unsee Don Cheadle as the principal in Mean Girls. And I think that that is a big barrier that I just cannot overcome. Um, versus Terrence Howard, I don't have that problem. <laughs> uh so i kind of i want to i want to jump to the the third act here and talk about this climactic battle between obadiah stain and iron man um tommy do you have any any talking points here yeah i mean i, I kind of touched on it because i thought that's what we were talking about with the arc reactor he's like yeah i think it's cool they really use the the giant arc reactor as the focal point of the of the fight um, I like that it seemed pretty balanced. And like, again, I like that they included Pepper. I like that it wasn't just Tony, you know, being saving the day. It's like, it was a team effort between the two of them. They are a team. And they set that up in this film and, and continue on is like, Tony needs his Pepper, you know, and Pepper needs his Tony or her Tony. And I love this whole fight. I love the, like you already mentioned the, the, the ice thing. I love that that came back, you know, they mentioned it early on and it comes back as like something he learned and he was able to use on Obadiah, uh, I, I thought it was a really good fight for the time, you know? Yeah, I feel like it's very, it's very fun. And especially in the way that, you know, we see Obadiah like kind of coming out of his suit to like talk to Tony. And it's a little less like goofy than a lot of the MCU fights now. Like I feel like a lot of the time in the later movies, they have a problem with making too many jokes or like feeling like they need to break the tension. Whereas in this one, I feel like they have just enough going on where it doesn't feel like goofy. Like we have the one scene where Tony loses his whatever uh, sleeve, I guess, and he can't like blast away Obadiah. But like, it's only that one moment. It just, it feels a lot more tense than a lot of the other movies. Um, and I also really like that they did like kind of a highway scene and we see a lot of other people on the highway. Like we see different people in cars and stuff who are, you know, there's like one family in a car who Tony basically saves them. It just, it feels very fun and serious, but at the same time, they understand when to break that tension. Yeah, I do appreciate this about the early uh, Marvel movies, and you kind of see them like take a step back later on as far as like the locations of these fights, um, because you kind of get to the point where it's like, okay, like these people live in a mad world. Like there is like a superhero malfunction, like every, like twice a year, and like random civilians are dying, and but you know, like it is cool to like get these locations like on a highway and stuff. Uh, and of course, like now we get it like uh, like desolate airports and whatnot. But um, yeah, no, this is uh, I like the location. I will say, like especially when we get to like when they they blow up the arc reactor, that might have been uh, that might have been one of the weaker CGI moments for me. And again, I that's one of those things that like I'll give them a break for because I know they're really thrown together that final act, and it worked out pretty well. So I agree. Like that that's the CGI there is a little rough. Um, but yeah, I think it was fun overall. And that like takes us into like the end, right? Like the, the, his big press conference, we got shield being announced, which like, again, the, the continuity about shield is a little hard for me. Cause again, as a lore guy, as a history guy, I'm like, well, if Peggy create, why is it just now getting changed? You know, we won't talk about that, but, uh, what do you guys think about Tony admitting I am Iron Man? 
And them doing that just in the first movie, just like putting that out there. I I love it so much. Because for the longest time, it was always like superheroes have a secret identity. And then, you know, they're going off and fighting crime. And, you know, Clark Kent puts on his glasses and suddenly no one knows he's Superman anymore. And the fact that they just went off and allegedly this was like an ad libbed thing from RDJ and that they, they decided to keep it in. And they were just like, no, you know what? He's just going to tell everyone like, yeah, I am Iron Man. Like this is very, very, a very stupid cover to say, no, this is my bodyguard. Like no one is ever going to believe that. Especially well, that's in the world what the, of the comics internet. did for years. The comics- I know. But like in the world of the internet, no one's going to believe that. Like you're going to have 100,000 people posting on Reddit being like, I took this screenshot of this picture and I enhanced here and whatever. Like there would just be no way. So it just feels a lot more realistic for him to be like, no, I'm Iron Man and goodbye. Peace out. See you later. It really fits his character too. Like, Like I think the surprising thing for me was when he got back, um, from being a prisoner of war, he he doesn't really mention anything that happens, right? Like that's not like he's way more concerned about like how he can fix his wrongs. Um, and now that a lot of that's behind him, like it does, like he's the guy to like like boast himself up a little bit and be like, "Yo, that was me." So Tony it, it makes wants sense. the credit. Like yeah. Tony at this point couldn't. I I think it would have ate him up inside if he said, even though it's like literally him too. But like if he just said it was a bodyguard. He would hate the fact that someone else is getting the credit for all the great he's doing in the world. Yeah, he doesn't want to be the victim. He only he wants to be the hero, though, which is why he says it. I also think it's interesting what he says to Pepper, like right before he goes out and does this whole speech where he's like, oh, yeah, like I'm going to be, you know, a secret superhero and then like come home and you're going to be so stressed out all the time, but you can't tell anyone. And it feels just very emotionally it changes that that tone when he goes out and is like actually i'm just gonna say i'm iron man you know we can be together and it'll be fine everyone's gonna know yeah yeah so um i want to get to this iconic post-credit scene um and i so i did see this movie in the theaters at the time and it's like i remember like i don't even like I couldn't even wrap my mind around what that truly meant, right? Like, I was like, oh, okay, there's going to be a sequel. You know, like, like I didn't, I, and I don't think anybody knew what this would really become. But, um, yeah, just seeing Nick Fury there, um, definitely, like, one of the coolest cinematic moments in history. Uh, so, Kelly, what would you make of this post-credit scene? Uh, I, I wish I had seen this in theaters because I can only imagine how excited people would have been for this post credits action. It's just. It's so cool that. This is kind of one of the first times. That we see something like this happening in a movie. Where not only are they like setting up. Like the future of this whole universe. But to bring in Samuel L. Jackson. Someone who is so well known. So iconic for like. One line of dialogue. Is absolutely. Just insane to me. And I, I love. I love John Favreau for doing it. Um, I believe Samuel L. Jackson was like the inspiration for Nick Fury in a bunch of the comics as well, right? So people knew exactly what that meant when they saw him right away. It's just, it's so cool. And it was so smart for them to do this. Um, I love it. I love every second of it. Every like two seconds of the scene. Yeah. And it's, it's just cool that they took the gamble to put it out there. Um, it wasn't like, I don't think it was exposed beforehand because like the internet wasn't that good at the time. So you know, now we know every post credit scene before it's announced, but uh, at the time, like, I remember being 
genuinely shocked when I saw Nick Fury pop up on my screen. I just didn't even think it was possible. Yeah, it's, uh, again, it's like, uh, just the way they set up so much of the MCU without even really realizing it. Like, it's weird to say that, like, Happy Hogan is going to have a bigger legacy in the MCU than than Iron Man, right? Like, and there are so many characters in this movie that that uh, go on to do great things. Obviously, Samuel Jackson. Um, I don't know if we'll ever see Pepper Potts again, hopefully. Um, but, um, yeah, it was just a joy to revisit this movie. I'm really happy. And, uh, yeah, any closing thoughts, guys? I just, like, I love the ambition that they took with Iron Man. I feel like they took some big swings. They went for something very different from a lot of like the superhero movies we had seen before. Cause like even thinking about it now, like what we had, you know, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films before this. And we had like X-Man, X-Men, which was fantastic, but it just, it felt very different. Like Iron Man, it had some humor. It was like goofy, but it also felt it felt like it had a very different tone than the rest of them. And obviously bringing in someone like Robert Downey Jr., who is just so dynamic on screen, is probably the best thing that they could have done. Like, we cannot imagine anyone else playing this character now, which is not something I can say for a lot of other movies. Yeah, they set the tone. I mean, that's the thing it comes down to is like they always talk about like, Favreau was, is the grand, like they talk about Feige and all these other, Favreau was the grandfather of Marvel Cinematic Universe. Without him, we don't get this. I mean, imagine if Hulk came out first. Imagine what our lives would be like. What would the universe be like? Uh, Iron Man needed to be the first one. And they were really close together, right? It was only like six weeks or, or eight weeks apart or something that Hulk came out after Iron Man. I didn't even uh, realize that. I guess that's right. Um, that's cool. I, I want to say, like, especially, Tommy, we've like theorized like maybe some of the critics want chloe Zhao to like make more prestige movies so they want to review bomb eternals and you know whatever i just want to say i don't want john favreau to do anything besides marvel and star wars he is just so good at, at what he does and like there there are like like ryan johnson like i need more ryan johnson movies like i don't want him stuck in star wars he needs to make the night is out trilogy like he, he but then there's people like john favreau i'm like you're where you need to be and you do a great job of this stuff so love him to death um with that being said, though, I want to jump in to some recommendations. And I'm going to go last because for some reason, even though we talked about it before the show, I don't have one. <laughs> Kelly, since you're the guest, do you want to give us a recommendation for the audience? Okay. I feel like mine are not very cool or trendy. Um, I very recently am behind the curve. I just got into succession and I'm finally caught up. Um, if you're not watching Succession, I don't know what you're doing. You need to get on that. It's so good. It's incredible. 10 out of 10 would recommend. Um, I was telling Tommy and Michael before the show started, I did watch a TIFF preview of um, a short Korean drama that's coming out on Netflix, I think tomorrow. Um, I've already seen like the first six episodes. It's called Hellbound. The CGI is really bad, but the story is really good. Basically, it's about these people who are just living their lives and then these demons pop out of hell and they drag them to hell and they talk all about why are these people getting dragged to hell? It's very interesting. Um, if you are into that kind of thing, probably check it out tomorrow when it comes out. Tommy, what do you got for us? All right. So my recommendation is something I haven't even seen yet, but I just, I have faith 
that it's going to be good. Uh, it, it's based on a book series. The book series is so many books. Uh, really, you just need to focus on the, the top three if you wanted to read the books before you watch the show. But it's called The Wheel of Time. It's going to be on Amazon Prime. It just released, like, literally, like, today. Uh, you know, whenever you get this, it's out. So go watch it. Uh, kind of Game of Thrones vibe, fantasy, that kind of stuff. If you're into that kind of thing, I think you're really going to like it. So I'm going to double down on a recommendation. Um, I think I gave it already. Um, uh, Arcane on Netflix, which is based on um, League of Legends, which I am not, I don't know League of Legends or anything. Um, when I, I, I can't, I don't, did I recommend this, Tommy? I don't know if you did, but I think it's relevant now because like it blew up. <laughs> yeah, I really like it. They, I, 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 I had watched. Uh, I think I just told you privately is what happened, Tommy. But I had watched one episode when I talked to you. I've watched two episodes now. I still haven't gotten that far, but it's very good. And I like I, this is a two for for me because there's another animated adaptation that has come out and I have not seen. So just like you, Tommy, uh, I want to get people on board for the Blade Runner Black Lotus uh, TV series, animated adaptation. I don't know if it's good or not, but again, this is the time for like uh, animated adaptations and I'll be watching that and I'll be finishing up Arcane. So hop on the bandwagon, everybody. I love it. Yeah. No, the League of Legends, I think it, it broke Squid Game's record. Squid Game just came in, was the most viewed. That is now the most viewed. Is it wow. really? Yeah. Wow, what the? I feel like they're gamers love gamers love it. I guess. Yeah, League of Legends is big. Don't mess with gamers, Michael. <laughs> true, true, true. Uh, yeah, I probably shouldn't like. I have no place to like like that show, but the animation's cool. So, <laughs> all right, Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. This was so much fun. Um, we'll have to do it again, but I want to give you the chance to um, plug whatever you got going on. You got all kinds of stuff going on. So tell the audience where they can find you and what you're up to. Yeah, I don't have too much going on. I actually just got back from vacation. So my podcast was on a small hiatus while I was um, off traveling around America. Um, But I do host a podcast called Nathan for Us. It's about Nathan for you, the TV show. It's very funny. Um, The TV show, our podcast is fine. But you can check it out um, at Nathan for Us podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Kelly W. I tweet about Survivor sometimes. I tweet about my life a lot of the time. Um, yeah, I talk about movies a lot. You know, if you like action movies, I probably will talk to you about them if you want to hear more. <laughs> yes. Well, Kelly, thank you. This was so much fun. And I am going to close this out here, but not without a couple thank yous to uh, Aaron Robertson, who did our music, and Ethan Kellum, who did our logo. I'd also like to remind you guys to rate and review us on iTunes. Um, look, we're about to start Hawkeye up, and this, this is what happens, okay? This is, how I, this is how I think the algorithm works, right? I don't know if it does, but um, listen, when you start to get reviews and you start to get subscriptions, your podcast gets promoted, and when people go to search Hawkeye on podcasts, because I just watched Hawkeye, and I, just, I need somebody to uh, listen to. They will search Hawkeye, and if we have enough reviews, we will be close to the top, and they'll click on our podcast, and we'll have new podcast listeners. So I'm just explaining that actually those five-star reviews are very important, especially when we're starting a new show. So if you could, and you haven't done it, please give us a five-star review, um, and also subscri- subscribe. So um, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Stark Wars Pod, and we have a little Discord community. So if that's something you're interested in, you can message us on social media, and we will get it to you. 
And I think that's all we got for you guys. So thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye. 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 <laughs>